Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister says an announcement about a possible diplomatic boycott of the Olympics could be made in the coming weeks. We believe, and Canada has always believed, that working in alignment with our best partners and allies around the world is the best way to get things done. That's certainly uh, what was most effective in regards to uh, getting home to Michaels. Conservatives push for a committee to examine Canada's response to the humanitarian crisis in Afghanistan. With over two years to prepare, how did this Prime Minister oversee the biggest foreign policy disaster in decades? And the Liberals table legislation aimed at eliminating some mandatory minimum sentences. When it comes to conservative justice policy, the facts speak loudly and clearly. It simply did not work. The best evidence, sadly, is in our prison populations. Indigenous adults represent 5% of the general population, but account for 30% of federally incarcerated inmates. It's Wednesday, December the 8th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. Do you think Canada is going to join other countries, including the United States, in a diplomatic boycott of the Winter Olympics in Beijing? And if if so, I guess the question a lot of people are asking is, why haven't we done so already? The prime minister is saying we might hear more on this in the next couple of weeks, but other countries are already doing it. Yeah, well, I don't think there's a particular rush to do this. Um, I mean, a diplomatic boycott just means that a bunch of people in suits aren't going to be at the Olympics on the Canadian side, as it were. Um, it's it's not a very powerful or profound expression of our disapproval of, uh, of the Chinese record on human rights <clears throat> or their adventures that are seem to be increasing around the world, uh, interfering in other countries. Um, but, you know, it, it is a, uh, a gesture, something that could be done. Um, but it's certainly not something that has to be decided right now. And, I mean, if, if the global community, uh, you know, the only way China is going to listen to the West or to other countries around the world is if they're together. There's strength in numbers when it comes to a bully like China. And uh, the Chinese seem determined now to just fend everything off with uh, belligerent comments and things like that. You know, the only way to get their attention, I think, is to have many countries joining together in a uh, some sort of protest. And I guess this is a mild version of, of the protest because uh, nobody tunes into the Olympics to watch diplomats. So they're there to watch athletes. Yeah. All right, let's turn to uh, the situation in Afghanistan and the fact that the Conservatives are pushing for a vote on an all-party House of Commons committee that would look at Canada's plans and Canada's role in the aftermath of the fall of Afghanistan. This happened in, in August. Of course, it happened around the time that the federal election was called by the Canadian government. And Aaron O'Toole is saying this committee would help Canadians understand why the government failed to act when the United States pulled troops out of Afghanistan. Um, so what do you think about that? Is this something that that warrants an all-party House of Commons committee? Well, uh, you know, I think the government's role... Look, the whole war in Afghanistan, the Can- Canada's war, if you will, in Afghanistan, went on for a long time. I, I don't know that 
the House of Commons or Parliament in general has taken a serious-minded look at, at, you know, what got us there, how did we do, did Canada carry its share of the load? Um, there's a hundred, there's a thousand questions that could be raised, and there are parliamentary committees in place you know, that uh, are empowered to look at that sort of thing if they only care to do so. Um, this one, to look back at this one particular part of the overall Canada role in Afghanistan, um, it just seems a little bit like a fishing expedition to find something to make the Liberal Party look stupid and, and, the, and the Liberal government. Um, you know, uh, there are other ways of doing the same thing. And there is a legitimate, I think, um, you know, requirement, if you will, to uh, investigate ways of, of getting more done over there now. I mean, Canada is still trying to get its allies and some of its friends out of there. And, um, you know, we seem to be a long way away from even achieving that. So uh, that is what everyone should be concentrated on now. Um, and, you know, there's there's nothing to stop the Conservatives in a myriad of parliamentary committees from asking questions about uh, what Canada did and didn't do in the, in the aftermath of the American withdrawal, which, let's face it, took the whole world by surprise. And that's obviously one of the major questions that have to be asked is, is were we adequately informed uh, so that we could have made contingency plans some were there obviously there was some warning but not enough i think for an effective response yeah all right uh, let's talk about the canadian military for a moment uh, there have been a series of of reports obviously and allegations uh, and resignations uh from from members of the senior ranks of the canadian armed forces uh and now the former head of hr vice admiral hayden edmondson has been charged with sexual assault and committing indecent acts. And uh, this is just one more example, but it's also the head of HR, which uh, raises questions about, uh, once again, about the culture in the Canadian Armed Forces. If the person who presumably would be would be in charge of culture would be the kind of leader that, that other people could go to if there was bad behavior, uh, if he himself is being charged with this kind of crime. Yeah, uh, it's 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 really a bad situation. We've talked about this before. Um, you know, with these high-ranking military officers, uh, appear to have thought they could act with you know utter uh, disregard for the well-being of people under their command. I mean, to me, that is the absolutely fundamental role of a commanding officer in any military: is to place first and foremost the well-being of the troops under their uh, command. And these allegations against um, Vice Admiral Hayden Edmondson are extremely serious. I mean, they're rape. And uh, the the person who uh, was the victim in this was 19 years old at the time, uh, a very new person to the armed forces. Uh, you know, so this is really an outrageous uh, allegation and, uh, you know, uh, something that has to be investigated. But, Mark, as you pointed out, I mean, if if you can't trust the person in charge of personnel affairs, i.e. HR, and, and there are very serious questions that have been raised already about the military justice system to the, to the point where allegations like this and charges like this are now going to be handled in, in the civil courts, 
um, in the civilian courts. I mean, this is really bad. I mean, where are people in the armed forces to turn if you can't trust the personnel department and you can't trust the justice system either? So, you know, again, you know, there has to be a root and branch investigation and reform of the command structure in the Canadian Armed Forces. We can't go off, you know, in a military role and be effective around the world uh, if this is the state of affairs at the top. So, you know, this is a long process that has got to get going. Some of it has to be in public so that the Canadian public can see uh, that sincere efforts are being made to reform things, and we've got to get a better quality of leader in the Canadian Armed Forces, or there's just going to be trouble that, that it's never going to end. So yeah. uh, this is a really shocking and bad revelation, I'd say. Yeah. All right. Finally, Dan, uh, let's talk about uh, a move by the Liberal government uh, to eliminate mandatory minimum penalties for a number of offenses, including in the areas of tobacco firearms and drugs. There are mandatory minimum penalties for uh, 67 offenses in the criminal code right now that, uh, uh, and the government would eliminate 14 of those. Uh, these were, were introduced a few years ago. So what do you think about that? Well, yes. Uh, yeah, I think if you talk to most judges, in fact, uh, when these mandatory minimums were uh, imposed by the Harper government uh, a few years back, I was speaking to a, a Supreme Court justice in, in Nova Scotia who told me that he thought they were utterly uh, useless and terrible because what was the point of having a judge uh, rule on an offense and a penalty for a convicted person if um, it's been written somewhere else that they have to get this many years or this many months, whatever it is, um, there has to be discretion in the courts. Now, I, I, I recognize a lot of Canadians feel courts are sometimes too easy on people who are convicted of crimes. But a lot of these mandatory minimums are things like tobacco offenses, uh, a lot of drug offenses. Um, you know, are people really supposed to end up in prison because they were in possession of, of some sort of drugs? Um, and as Justice Minister David Lametti was saying yesterday, that, you know, what it ended up doing was putting too many Indigenous people, too many Black people, too many marginalized people in jail. And uh, people who were less able to defend themselves in court, or people who were more likely to be exposed to the milieu around drugs and and these types of, of illegal activities. Uh, if there's 67 offenses that have current mandatory uh, minimums, uh, why not get rid of 50 of them rather than just 14? But um, let's say uh, this is a reform I think that is overdue, and it's something that returns uh, power and uh, jurisdiction to the courts where they properly belong. All right. Great. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Thanks for calling. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. We shouldn't be punishing the athletes, uh, but we want to send a clear message. And this is something that the United States has recently announced as well. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Tasha Keridan argues, A diplomatic boycott of Beijing is a no-brainer, except in Ottawa. Keridan writes, With the U.S. announcement of a diplomatic boycott, the question is, will other nations follow suit? 
While some critics say a diplomatic boycott is too weak a response, reviews of past full boycotts suggest that apart from dashing the dreams of our athletes, they likely did not achieve anything more than a diplomatic boycott would. So should Canada join the United States and keep its officials home? Yes. All nations that believe in democracy and freedom should take a stand. We can let the sport go on while refusing to support the spectacle. In the Montreal Gazette, Christopher Labos argues, wider eligibility for COVID booster shots makes sense. He writes, offering a booster dose to a larger segment of the population is mainly motivated by the rising case numbers, the risk of new variants, and the waning of immunity with time. Nobody can realistically predict how the next few months will play out. And given that uncertainty, the decision to optimize everyone's immune status is an obvious one. No doubt, many hoped that after two vaccine doses, everything would go back to normal. But life is never that simple. In the conversation, Max Fawcett makes the case for quitting the royal family. Fawcett writes, Replacing our constitutional monarchy and the royal family with a republic isn't without risk. All political systems have their strengths and weaknesses, and we need to be sure that we're not trading a weakness we can live with for one we can't. But given the monarchy's declining popularity and relevance, it's probably time for a more serious exploration of something new. One of Canada's great strengths has been its ability to adapt and evolve, and we may need to do both again. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period. He will also be joined by Diversity Minister Ahmed Hussein and Minister for Women Marcy Ian in a discussion with social activist Ilwad Elman. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will hold a news conference in Ottawa. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will also hold a news conference in Ottawa. And he will speak at the Assembly of First Nations Special Chiefs Assembly. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbeau, Fisheries Minister Joyce Murray, and Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will take part in a fireside chat hosted by the National Executive Director of the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society. And the Senate Committee on National Finance will hear from Treasury Board President Mona Fortier. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, December the 8th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.